Let's go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll hop into some introduction, but that way you're not sitting down and standing up and all that kind of good stuff. If you want to read along in your own Bible, it's going to be in page 986, if it's the Purack Bible. Otherwise, it's going to be Proverbs 2, but wait, it gets better. I'm going to have it on the screen, and I've bolded some words. I'm trying to highlight some language that I really want to just make a point out of this morning. So if you just want to follow along in the big screen Bible, that'll be fine too. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter number two. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ears to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. Skip down to verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God, for her house leads down to death. And her paths to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Let's pray again. Dear God, I pray that you would lead us into the way everlasting. Dear God, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, who said that when you yourself said you are the way, I pray that we just focus our eyes on you. Lord, if there are distractions that are pulling our attention away, Lord, where there are those pockets of our hearts where we have failed to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strengths, Lord, I pray that this morning you would bring those to our mind. Dear God, that as we look to you, to Lord, uh, guide us, to direct us, that you would meet with us this morning. Pray these things in your name, amen. Now you guys can go ahead and be seated. My name is Charles, and I'm the high school pastor here at Three Crosses. I was actually here on this stage exactly nine months ago. And exactly nine months ago, I was terrified uh, because that morning, my wife had gone into labor. And so this is nine months late, but this is Charlie. This is my daughter, who's nine months old today. We were at a wedding on Friday. And so, man, today, all I have to do is preach All right, my wife's not going to be having a baby, and so I can relax and have my attention be here. Yeah, thank you guys. 
The good news is Charlie looks a lot like Kristen and not like me, so it's going to be okay. I'm so glad to be part of this series on the good life. If you've been missing for a couple of weeks or if you're just visiting with us this morning, and speaking of visitors, is it the inner, it's inner mountain Christian schools? Are you guys in the house? This, hey, there you guys are. We got a group from, from Utah, is it? Or Salt Lake City, from Salt Lake City visiting with us today. Hey guys, welcome. You guys picked a good week to join us. So for you guys who don't know what's going on, we're in the third week of a series called The Good Life. It's going to be a few months long, uh, not two and a half years. And we're going to be going through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Job. Uh, and we're just looking to find in this wisdom literature, what is this path to the good life? Two weeks ago, Danny talked about wisdom, how wisdom is without, and he's, she is calling out to us, asking for us to follow her. And then last week, Danny talked about the two house parties that are going on. There's wisdom, and she is throwing her party, and initially you think, that does not look enticing. And instead, you draw your attention over to Folly's party. And Folly is just dishing out stolen water like there is no tomorrow, and you think, that is the party that I want to go to. Well, last week we learned, hey, let's turn our backs on Folly's party, and let's, let's push towards wisdom. And in kind of that same vein, I hope that you picked up as we were reading through Proverbs 2, that not only are there two parties that are presented in the book of Proverbs, there are two paths. There are two paths that lead to two different destinations. For our, for our time this morning, we're going to call the one path the path towards the good life. The path towards the good life, as we were reading in chapter number 2, is described as the course of the just. The way of the faithful, it's called the good path, straight paths, the path to life, the way of good men, the paths of the righteous. And that is contrasted with the dark path. The dark path in, throughout the book of Proverbs, but here in chapter 2, is called the ways of wicked men, dark paths, crooked paths. These paths lead down to death. These two paths are mapped out through the book of Proverbs. It says though Solomon lays out the map for our lives and he's highlighting two, he's hi highlighting two trails. One of them is a trail, is a path that will lead to life. The other is a trail, a path that will lead to death. And we understand the metaphor as, we, as we're reading it here in the book of Proverbs, but it becomes even more clear as we kind of bring it into real life, into real life stories. This right here is the class uh, that is graduating this year. There they are. They are seniors, and even though Hannah on the left doesn't look like she's excited, she is. We just had, for the last three weeks over in Omega, our high school group, we've had three weeks of the seniors being able to just tell their stories and tell what God's doing in their lives. And this group of seniors... Uh, for the most part, are on the path of wisdom, on the path of the good life. On the front right there is Mickey Avalicino. Mickey, Aval Mickey just graduated from Redwood as the valedictorian and is heading to APU and just immersing herself in ministry. Jake 
who is also on the couch on the left there, is heading off to the Joshua Wilderness Program, also up at Hume Lake, where he'll be spending a year just immersing himself in Bible teaching. He'll be going on missions trips, heading to Israel uh, to get a firsthand experience of the promised land. And throughout that group, Ethan sitting on the right-hand side of that couch, you couldn't rip Ethan away from church if you tried. Ethan, for the last five years, has been riding his bike up to church. If you've seen a bike parked out on this side, that was Ethan, and he was here from 7 a.m. on Sunday morning until, until we kicked him off campus and said, go home now. <laughs> Students who are on the path to the good life. But for every student that's on the picture there, there's another student who's not there, who took a detour, who ended into a dark place. And there's really no way to, to spin or to gloss over getting a phone call from Santa Rita or from a state prison in, in Folsom. When, when, when a student gives you a call and they're asking for, you know, and they're asking for the collect call and there's, there's no good way to spin that. It's difficult when you're sitting with a student and you're trying to understand where he's at, but man, just with, with what's happened in his brain because of his drug use, one thought's not following the next and, and, and there's, no, there's no clarity there. They just took a detour and ended up in a dark place, ended up on the wrong path. And this certainly isn't something that is simply uh, for youngsters, Right? It's easy once you get out of the teens to say, hey, the two paths were obvious back then. But even into adulthood, we realize that it's possible to get onto a path of the good life and to enjoy the good that God's given us, but it's also possible to get into a dark place. As I was preparing for this message, a friend who works for the Alameda County Coroner's Office texted me just talking about the hard day that he was going through because in one night, going to three separate suicides of adults over their 40s, just in a difficult place. And we don't know the stories for each of the things, but man, just ending up in darkness and not, not being able to escape that path. And I think the, the darkness of, of, of those suicides is contrasted with even what we're doing here this morning. This morning, you might not know it, uh, but we are kind of continuing in a tradition that one of our former pastors set our former pastor, David Von Rhodes, would play the organ, but when he wasn't pounding away uh, and making the pipes sing, his passion was to get kids to go to camp. And it was David Von Rhodes that started our camp scholarship fund. And it was his vision to see kids go to camp, regardless of whether or not they could afford it, that brings us to today where we are raising money and sending kids to camp so that money is not what keeps people away from experiencing God at summer camp. I just think, man, look, the two paths, the path of life and then a dark path as well. This morning, we're going to be asking ourselves three questions to ensure that we know that we are on the right path. I love camping and I love hiking and sometimes trails are clearly marked. Other times you need a little bit of help. And so these questions will be the little bit of help to help us make sure we are on the path to the good life. The first question, if you're taking notes, whether on paper or in the app, the Three Crosses app, the first question that 
helps us to see whether or not we are on the path to life is this. Do I have the fear of the Lord? Do I have the fear of the Lord? As we're coming up to the path of life, as we're surveying the scene and we're trying to say, hey, which direction is going to lead me to life? I want to point out this giant trailhead sign. This giant trailhead sign, it has, it has the fear of the Lord written on it. And it's pointing in one direction. And here's what the book of Proverbs says. It says right in the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says it again in Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what Solomon is trying to get us to understand is he's making it very clear. He is pointing to the path of life and he says, here's where it starts. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what marks the beginning. The fear of the Lord is an important idea for this whole series as we're going to be in the book of Proverbs and then in Ecclesiastes and then in Job's. The fear of the Lord is a foundational issue. It is a foundational theme for all three of these books. There's 21 times in the 31 chapters, excuse me, there's 20 times in the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs where the fear of the Lord is mentioned. It's a consistent theme. When we get to Ecclesiastes, spoiler alert, here's, what, here's where the book of Ecclesiastes lands. It says, now all has been heard in Ecclesiastes 12. Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In the book of Ecclesiastes, what is paramount is the fear of the Lord. As we come into Job, we'll find out that Job was a man that feared God and kept his commandments. And in spite of that, there was an enormous road of difficulty. And when we get to the end of the story of Job, what Job learns by experience is, I fear that guy. I've been talking a lot, but now that he showed up, I'm just going to sit silently. The fear of the Lord is central to this good life. Do you want to have a good life? The fear of the Lord points to the path that we should be on. Now, a lot of us have a negative conception of fear, right? And, and, and there is certainly a negative fear. That's why in the New Testament, it will say perfect love casts out fear. It will say that we have not been given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. And so there is a negative aspect of fear. Martin Luther, as he was trying to teach about the fear of the Lord, separated the fear of the Lord into two categories. He said there's a servile fear. Where it was, it's the fear that a servant would feel for an oppressive master. That is not what the fear of the Lord entails. It is not an oppressive fear where we are, we are, we are primarily fearing retribu retribution. That is not the primary way that we show the fear of the Lord. Where it's out of punishment. The second aspect isn't this, isn't this servant fear, but it's this the fear that a son feels. The son out of respect, out of love, and then also with the understanding that dad doesn't carry the rod in vain, right? And so there, the fear of punishment is part of it, but it's not the primary. It's reverential awe. Where we come to God, we say, God, you are bigger than me, you are greater than I am. And out of respect, I am going to obey you. 
The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe that leads to obedience. A couple of months ago, I was given the chance to go to Hawaii to help Hume Lake Christian Camps run one of their camps on the island of Oahu. And my job for the camp was to make sure everybody was in bed when they were supposed to be in bed. And so I had a little mag light flashlight. I was walking around on the beach trying to make sure that there was no young love happening, right? Uh, (laughs) And so I was frequently the one who would get everybody into bed, get, get them to the place where they were supposed to go. But then I'd find myself alone, Standing on, standing on a beautiful beach, nobody for hundreds of yards that way, nobody for hundreds of yards that way, with the waves beating on the shore, and there's no light pollution. I look up, there are just a sky full of stars. And I just sat down, and it's like a mixture of fear and like beauty and amazement. And I love where it goes to in Genesis, where where in the Genesis account it says, oh, and he made the stars also. I'm like, my God's the God that made the stars also, right? Just like afterthought, like, and also this. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, that's my God. And that's my God that loves me, that died for me, that at this camp is speaking to me and speaking to these students. And there's this aspect of, God, you are so big and so great, but concerned with me. Reverential awe that leads to obedience. My dad, when I was coming into my teenage years, sat me down and said, Charles, don't drink alcohol. He came and he said, he, he opened up to me and he said, there was a period of his life where alcohol was just something that he leaned on, something that he went to consistently, something that was damaging to his relationship with my mom and relationship with the family. And alcohol had a power over his life that it was difficult for him to get out of. And he came to me and says, hey, Charles, this is something that, that you probably will struggle with as well. So don't get started. And there was, there was two aspects to, to my response. One, I'm afraid of my dad, right? Like, I don't want to cross that guy because there's going to be consequences. And it's not going to be like, hey, I'm taking your cell phone away. That's not how my dad rolled, all right? Uh, There were going to be consequences, and I didn't, like, I had a fear for my dad. But along with that, like, I'm smart enough. Like, I could get away with, you know, things that I wanted to get away with. And so what kept me from drinking, what kept me from alcohol, really wasn't wasn't this, uh, like, oh, no, my dad's going to catch me and he's going to kill me. What kept me from alcohol was, man, dad, I respect you. You're a man of God and I want to be like you and you were open with me and you were vulnerable with me and you, 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 you painted this path for me for me to follow and out of respect for you, I am going to obey that reverential awe that leads to obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs is not given, is not painted at all in, the, in a negative light. In fact, the fear of the Lord in Proverbs is joined together with so many promises. In Proverbs chapter number 10, it tells us that the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. In chapter 14, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress And for his children, it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. In chapter 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord 
than great wealth with turmoil. I love this. Chapter 19. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The signs pointing that direction. Then one, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Any of you guys need that in your life today? Man, as you're, as you're planning for a wedding, as you're entering into a new business, business proposition, and as you guys are raising children, right? Anybody need that, the ability to be able to rest content, untouched by trouble, living in the Bay Area, paying Bay Area prices, right? How do we get there? Man, the fear of the Lord, humility, and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. And here at this church, like, we're very, we're very sensitive to not be caught up with just like a health and wealth gospel where it's like, name it and claim it, bless God, like, you give to the church and God's going to give you tenfold, Let, let's pass the offering plates right now. We're, we're very careful to preach the whole counsel of God, and, and, and we will get there in this series. But for a split second, could we pause and just trust God in what he says in this passage? Before we get into a nuanced perspective, before we, before we throw it out and say, hey, well, that doesn't always happen, could we trust the wisdom of Proverbs that this usually happens and believe God when he says humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. God, I trust you for that. God, I trust that as I respect you, you will, will bring what you have promised. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. But he who hardened his heart falls into trouble. Do we have that kind of fear of God? Do you have a time when there's enough blank space in your calendar to actually fear, like to feel that reverential awe that leads to obedience? These two, these two authors, uh, these two authors Made me, made me question whether or not I fear the Lord. Here's, here's what A.W. Tozer says. A.W. Tozer says, I refer to the loss of the concept of the majesty of the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty, once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. Hey, we want to make God accessible. We want to cry out to God as our Abba, but he is still our majestic God, creator of everything. R.C. Sproul says this, in defining the fear of the God, in the fear of the Lord, excuse me, he says, the focus here is on a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God. And then he says, that's often lacking in contemporary evangelical Christianity. We get very flippant and cavalier with God as if we had a casual relationship with the Father. We are invited to call him Abba, Father, and to have a personal intimacy promised to us, but we're still not to be flippant with God. We're always to maintain a healthy respect and adoration for him. Do we have the fear of the Lord in this church, in our lives, corporately, as we, as we approach his commandments, as we approach how he's designed for us to live, do we have the fear of the Lord? The next two questions will kind of help us unpack that a little bit. Second question is this, am I listening? Am I listening? A good way to know whether or not we fear the Lord is to ask ourselves, am I listening? Going back to Proverbs chapter one, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but... 
Fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's this giant sign saying the fear of the Lord and it's pointing to the good life. And over it, there's a bunch of us huddling down saying, I'm not gonna listen, I'm not gonna listen. Where we despise wisdom and discipline. As we opened up our passage with Proverbs chapter two, did you notice the call to listen from the father to the son? In Proverbs chapter two, it says, my son, if you accept my words, if you store up my commands with you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then... It's a lifestyle of saying, God, I need to listen to you. God, what do you think? I'm searching for wisdom. I'm hunting it out. I'm coming to you. God, help me to understand here. It is then that we will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In the book of Proverbs, especially in chapters one through nine, as you're reading, and I hope that you're reading along with us. We have blog posts that go along with each day for the book of Proverbs. Hope you're practicing this during the week. But as you're reading, especially through chapters one through nine, what you'll notice is a majority of of the, or there's, it's not a majority, but there is so much repetition in chapters one through nine of the father saying to the son, listen, listen, don't forget, Take my commandments and wear them around your neck. They're going to be like a garland to you. Don't forget what your dad says. Don't forget what your mom says. Listen, 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 listen. More than he teaches us what to, like what to do, he's just saying, hey, hey, like all the what will come later. I just need to know, hey, are you listening? And this is a dad's listen, right? And when dad or mom come and say, listen, generally we don't mean like, hey, I want you to understand here. Oh, there is action that we're asking for. A mom and a dad's listen is pointing towards action, not just understanding. But there is a resistance to listening. There is a resistance to listening. I have a nine-month-old, I have a five-year-old, I have an eight-year-old, and I have a nine-year-old. You better believe that I know that there's a resistance to listening. I'm a high school pastor. I've been a high school pastor for over 10 years now. You better believe I know that there's a resistance to listening. I've been married for almost 11 years now and I know that I am resistant to listening. And in our culture today, as as scripture is open, we're saying, hey, this is what the Bible says. There is a resistance to listening. I've already tried that. You don't know my situation. Do you really trust that this antiquated, uh, irrelevant book is going to have answers for life in the 21st century? Do you really think that you need to invest time in coming to church to hear the word of God unpacked? Like, there is resistance to listening in our culture. I was was talking with a student, and he was going through some deep issues issues that affected the, the core of who he was and how he related to the world. And, and it was a complicated issue. It was an issue that I didn't know much about. And so I, I asked, hey, is it possible for me to go do some homework? I wanna figure out what the Bible says about this. And let's, let's come back together, let's hang out. And I wanna share with you just like what I'm, what I'm learning in the Bible. And we can, we can see what the Bible says about this together. And, and I don't think that they meant to be rude or, or, or to give me like an insight into like 
what was going on in their hearts. But just immediately, it was just a, hey, no thanks. No thanks. And, and I mean, I was raised in the church, right? Like, and so every, every answer is like, hey, what does the Bible say about this? And so just to hear this, like, no, I'm good. Like, I made up my opinion about what I'm going to do about this issue. And I don't, I don't really care what the Bible or what Christianity, what, what, what this faith handed down through the centuries says about it. And just a disregard, just, no, I don't care. And then at the same time, I was hanging out, and I was wrestling with this at the men's retreat, and I was, I was hanging out with Tom. Tom was a few decades past 30 where I am, and, and I was talking with Tom, and I was wrestling with this because I know how to preach a message to high schoolers, but when I stand in front of adults, many of who, you know, are further along in life than I am and who have more wisdom and have, you know, more accomplishments than I do, I come here like, do I really, can I tell people in Sunday morning church to listen? Like, can I say that? So I was asking Tom, I said, Tom, like, you're a few years further along life's road than I am. Do you still need to listen to God? Like, do you still need to hear from him? And the same thing, I'm not sure that he meant to give me a glimpse into his heart, but just immediately he said, absolutely, Charles. We just finished up one of our night sessions up at the men's retreat, and he said, I needed what the Bible was saying tonight. I needed what the pastor was saying tonight. And I was just thinking, yes. Because the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, one of the ways that we know whether or not we have it is by whether or not we are listening. Are we listening to what God says? The third question that we ask ourselves is this. Am I leaving? Am I leaving? Throughout the book of Proverbs and connected closely with the passages that talk about the fear of the Lord, there are many passages that talk about leaving the things that distract us from the path to the good life. Right in the beginning, right in the beginning, Proverbs chapter number one is like the first concrete advice besides like the listen. And so chapter one, there's like an introduction and then it's a, hey, my son, listen to me. And here's the first piece of advice that Solomon gives to his son. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. So the first piece of advice that Solomon gives besides listen is, hey, say no to that wicked crowd. Say no. And then from there, there is a frequent theme that passes through the book of Proverbs where the book of Proverbs points out and says, hey, you're going to have to say no to certain things in order to follow the path of life. Proverbs chapter 3. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The fear of the Lord involves saying no to evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord and the path that leads to the good life involves leaving, a certain, leaving certain things behind. But the Bible says to fear the Lord is to shun evil. Where we can't go to Folly's house party and Wisdom's house party and have it both ways. You must leave one to pursue the other. And what I love about the book of Proverbs is that the book of Proverbs, here's what it does. It just points certain things out to us and helps us label things as they are. And with a proper label, we're able to leave them, leave them appropriately. 
One of, one of the verses that I love in the book of Proverbs is when it talks about laziness in Proverbs chapter six. It says, hey, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall poverty come as an armed man, right? And so what, what, what the book of Proverbs says is like, hey, I'm just gonna slap a label on this. This is laziness, right? And I know that you're just saying a little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Proverbs is just gonna say, that's laziness, right? And now that it's labeled, now you can leave it. And or else, when it talks about the simple man, you know, just happens to be going by the corner where she is and she comes out with her, with her persuading speech, kind of, hey, come home with me. And what it helps us to do is it just labels that for us. That's foolishness. That, that is a foolish woman and that is a foolish man that is ensnared by her words that drip like honey, but you don't know that they end up in death. And just labels. It says, hey, that's lust. That's a bad idea. It's labeled. Now leave it. The wise, the wise life, the life that follows the path to the good life, there's a lot of lives there, is characterized not only by listening, but by leaving, but by leaving. What do you need to leave in order to continue on the path of the good life? When I ask myself that, I, I feel like, you know in Proverbs where it just talks about the sins that so easily beset us? Is it weird that those things are consistent? Where it's just like, hey, just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And, and so when I think of my life and the sins that so easily beset me and, and and I ask myself in preparing for this message, Charles, what are the things that you need to label and leave? In my mind, it's just like that and that. They've already been labeled for you, Charles. Why aren't you leaving them? What do you need to label? What do you need to leave? Because the path to the good life involves leaving. This is a hard thing to do. Leaving the things that provide us comfort leaving the things that we love, leaving the things that we think, hey, this is going to give me life, but, but we know it leads to death. Leaving those things is hard. Listening is hard. The fear of the Lord is hard, but they lead us to life. Following that path is worth it because it leads us to Jesus. Jesus, when he came and he was ministering in Matthew chapter number seven, he talked about the two paths that Proverbs talks about. And he says, hey, enter in through the narrow gate for wide is the way, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. At the end of his life, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. He invited people, hey, come and follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and follow me into the path of life. The good news that Jesus brings to us is that as he was living with us, he took our path and he took the darkness that was in our path. He took the crooked ways that we frequently wander down. He took the destination of death itself and he grabbed death, darkness, and our crooked paths. He bundled them together and he carried them to Calvary. And when he died on the cross and came back victorious over death, he provided a new way, a way that we don't need to lead to death. We don't need to be confounded in darkness. We can follow Jesus to new life. 
And that path to the new life involves fearing God, listening to him, and leaving what he calls us to leave. Back in September, I got a chance to marry Marilyn and John. Uh, if you were there at Marilyn and John's wedding, and that's my other daughter that's standing below us, uh, if you were there at John and Marilyn's wedding, it dripped with Jesus. Were their wedding vows? I was reading over them again this last week, preparing for another, uh, another wedding ceremony. I was reading through their vows, and it was, here was John's first promise to Marilyn. John's first promise to Marilyn was this. I promise to follow Jesus with all of my heart. It's like, Marilyn doesn't even get to take first place. <laughs> For John and Marilyn, Jesus comes first. They feared the Lord in their marriage. And over this past year, as they've been married, they've been thinking, what does God want us to do in our lives? They've settled here in the Bay Area. Both of them are working uh, in jobs that they love, but there's just a part of them where they're listening to God saying, God, what do you want me to do? Two weeks ago, John got a call from Hume Lake Christian Camps. Offered him a job saying, hey, we want you to come up to the lake and we want you to help us run one of our off-site camps down in San Diego. How quickly can you be up here? So John went to his current employer and said, hey, I'm taking another job. I'm going to be out in two weeks. The company comes back and says, hey, John, we want to keep you here. And they offered him three times what Hume Lake Christian Camps was offering him. That's a lot of money. <laughs> John came to this point, and really there was, there was no second guess. All John said when he was texting me about the offer that, that his current company was offering, was said, hey, it makes leaving even that much of a better story, where he is leaning into what God is going to do. John and Marilyn are leaving family. They are leaving financial success. They are leaving their friends. They are leaving their familiar settings behind. But I am so happy for John and Marilyn because they are on the path to the good life. What I, they are on the path to discovering the life that Jesus is waiting for all of us to enter into. And it begins with when we fear God when we listen to him and we say, I will leave what you call me to leave. I have, I have two things that I want to close with. One is an invitation. I want to invite you into this path. I want to invite you into the path of following Jesus. A, a, a path that is characterized first and foremost by the fear of the Lord, but a fear of the Lord that, it, that it goes through Jesus. So that it's not a fear of punishment, but it's saying, God, I want to respect you. I want to obey you because of what Jesus has done for me. I want to invite you into following Jesus, into the path of the good life. Whether you're here for the first time and, or you've been here a couple of times, but your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God is not something that you've taken seriously. Today could be your day where you say, I am deciding to follow Jesus. I am going to fear the Lord. I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to leave what he calls me to leave. If that's you, I want to invite you to follow Jesus today. Or maybe you're here and you've been in church your whole life. You've even been baby Jesus in the musical. Maybe you've wandered a little bit. And sure, Jesus is a part of your life, but you've lost that fear. You've forsaken the listening. 
and there's things that he's called you to leave uh, that you're a little hesitant to leave. Can I invite you into the path of the good life as characterized by the fear of the Lord, listening and leaving? The second request that I have for you is this. Would you invest in others finding that good path? Would you invest in others being able to, to, to man, uh, begin to fear the Lord, listen and leave? That's what summer camp is. Summer camp is a plan, is a chance for students to get away, to learn to fear God, to listen to him, and to leave what they need to leave behind. Would you invest in that? And, and, and honestly, there's a financial component to that. And if you feel compelled to give, man, we would, we would love that. But more importantly, would you pray? Genuinely, more important than you giving, would you pray? Would you pray? Because as you pray, I want you to open up your heart and say, God, as much as I want those students to fear you and listen to you and leave what you're calling them to leave, I want that in my life. Would you pray? Would we be a praying church? It says, God, we want to follow you onto the path of the good life. An invitation for you personally, and then an invitation to invest for others.